This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 34. Whoa. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood. I'm with my podcast co-host, Mr. Chris Graham. How are you doing today, Chris? Man, I'm doing great because it's been like a week and a half since we've recorded. You got a little time off away from me. I missed it. I missed you. Oh, you missed it. Oh, I thought you were uh, so stoked to have some time away. Well, I used every minute of it, I assure you, but uh, this is a part of my week that I enjoy. You've been working on your secret project, which we're not going to talk about here. Shh, don't tell anyone. Okay, so today's episode, I love that. Today's episode is a conversation that Chris and I are going to have. And the only pre-discussion we've had on it was me pitching the idea to him for this episode. (laughs) And he immediately said, stop talking. We're going to record right now. And today's episode topic, which you could probably tell by the episode title, if we wrote a good one, is all about... Where do we think the recording industry is going to be in the next five to 10, even 15 or 20 years? Where do we see things going? Uh, What does that mean for you? What does it mean for the industry as a whole? Where does that mean you should perhaps shift to? What does that mean for some of you that refuse to shift to different areas? I think we're going to have a good, lively discussion today. But again, this is a non-outlined, non-pre-discussed episode. It could go anywhere. We don't know. All right, so Chris. I'm just going to ask the question to you and you're going to answer it. And then we're going to cut the episode off. It's going to be a three minute episode. And that's that. No, I'm just joking. Where do you think the industry's going? Uh, let's just say for the average home studio owner. Well, I think the important first thing to consider there is what has happened over the past 20 years. Oh, so much. So much. I would say the biggest revolution, man, when I started recording, it was right at the very beginning of the digital audio revolution. And my first studio that I worked at used ADATs. And for those of you youngins who thank God don't know what an ADAT is, an ADAT is basically a VCR tape. <laughs> you probably don't know what that is either. It's uh, it's uh, like the precursor to the DVD. You'd pop it in this crazy VCR and you could record eight tracks on each VCR tape. And it was awful. I hate everything that you're saying right now. I know. It was, it was a miserable chapter. This is a bit different than tape, though. It was like a... Well, yeah, but so... Was it easier? No. <laughs> it was cheaper. It was just cheaper. Got it. So, but the big thing that's happened since ADAT is computers, obviously, are the thing that you use to record with now. And I remember when I got my first Mac and I started recording with that, it was impossible to find any decent sounding compressor plug-in. And I remember when the Waves Renaissance compressor came out, And the first time I used it and was like, oh my gosh, that actually doesn't sound terrible. And now like the Wave Renaissance compressor is completely obsolete. Nobody uses that thing anymore. So we've seen better and better and better processors come out, better and better plugins, better and better microphones. Better and better emulations for the real thing. Yeah, I'm going to get like 17 gear slut alerts today. But you look at like a microphone like the Studio Project C1, it's like 200 bucks. It's not that bad. Or, you know, there's a whole other, other number of those that have come out and we continue to see better and better microphones for less money and plugins that sound better and better. And you look at like, you think about five years ago, how many people did you know that had an Apollo, a Universal Audio Apollo five years ago? So nothing that you said so far has surprised anyone listening. I know I'm building up to it. The buildup is required. But what I'm saying is 
What does that mean for the average home studio owner's future? Well, I think the most important thing to consider is that five years from now, how much is an Apollo going to cost? Because, well, I mean, we're not like sponsored by Universal Audio. Probably wouldn't mind being sponsored by Universal Audio. (laughs) But um, we're both big fans. And an Apollo, they're fantastic. Probably most of you guys that are professional audio, I would say just barely most of you probably use Apollos. And the thing that's interesting about that is you think about how much an Apollo is going to cost in five years, probably two thirds of what it costs now. And you think about how much more powerful it's going to be and how much better the plugins are going to be and how incredible you're going to be able to get a recording to sound five years from now with a lot less effort. So what's important about this is that, man, it's a fact five years from now, home studio recording is going to be easier than it is today. It's going to be cheaper to get better tones than it is today. And I think more and more artists are going to opt for the home recording route. They're going to opt to self-produce because the plugins are going to be incredible. Think about what GarageBand, let's look out more than five years. What does GarageBand look like in 20 years? Holy crap. It's going to be incredible. And you're going to open up your Mac that's really a chip implanted in your brain. And you're going to say, Siri, let's create a song about my daddy issues. And she's going to say... (laughs) I've chosen the song of D minor, the, the saddest of all keys. Would you like to proceed? How about 98 beats per minute? Like it's going to be so crazy and so easy. So I think it's important to look at the inevitable future of home recording and recognize that GarageBand is going to be awesome someday. Like already people make great records in GarageBand sometimes. More frequently, you're going to see a complete amateur who has a great record. And man, I had a really come, big come to Jesus moment with this a couple years ago where I worked with a guy who had been in professional audio for 20 years and he hadn't really upgraded his gear in like 15. And he sent me a record and it was like, didn't sound super great. Um, Obviously his analog to digital converters weren't great and the record was so-so. And then the very next day I mastered an EP from some college kids who had garage band and they've kind of fallen out of favor, but he had an Apogee duet and the Apogee duets sound incredible. And they were really popular right before the Apollo. And I remember this moment of, oh my gosh, this college kid has a better sounding record than this 20 year veteran. And I'm obviously not saying guys that all college kids are better than 20 year veterans because of technology. That's not what I'm saying. But it was a moment in my career where it was, whoa, oh my gosh, like technology is improving so fast that back in the day, a really good converter, Apogee quality was really expensive and hard to get a hold of and that's not the case anymore so five years from now what technology is going to be available to the do-it-yourselfer so here's my thoughts on this is the technology barrier is already at the all-time low it's only falling further so the quality gap between what a prosumer could do you know someone that has pretty good quality gear but is more of a consumer right that's a, a term that they use prosumer gear versus a pro with a high quality studio the difference between what those two facilities can do now is getting smaller and smaller the gap between those two types yes. of people and i think eventually the quality of what a complete hobbyist could do at home given that their skill set is there is going to be on par with what a commercial studio can do with comparable gear now that's not to say it's ever going to be the same but i definitely see that gap getting smaller and smaller and smaller And you touched on this a second ago. You're saying more and more artists, not just bands, but solo artists or whatever happens to be the flavor of the decade in the future will be doing more home recording or recording it themselves. So that is leaving an obvious question here is, does that mean 
studios are going to be used less and less and less. Is there a career for this in the future? I think that there is, but I think it's worth pointing out that if your shtick, if your niche is, I can do a slightly better job on your record than you could do for yourself, that that might be good enough right now. But it won't be good enough in three years because anyone that's bought brand new technology is going to be able to do a better job than you are right now. Not anyone, but a lot of people. So I think it's important to recognize that as audio professionals, we have to differentiate and provide things that aren't easily replaced by Slate or Waves or UAD. And yeah, that's a little scary, but it's not scary if we adapt. It's not scary if we improve because that tension, that pressure on us to deliver more value to our customers is what makes the world a better place in every industry. So just to add to that, I think some important things to discuss about this are going to be how can you future-proof your business or your career in audio? And I think part of that comes down to it's going to be so much more important than it is now to specialize in something and brand yourself. And this is something that most studios never even think of, but I was doing website critiques today and I was blown away by one website, how well branded it was. It looked like a big business, but it was just one mastering engineer. And the fact that this person was able to build out a website that was branded as well as and built out as well as any big business was surprising to me. And I think the, the further along we go, as free as education is now, you know, how cheap it is to be educated at a college level, how cheap it is to learn about audio, to learn about business. And compared to what it used to be, you're talking you know, 50, 60, 70, $80,000 for a degree compared to now, it's infinitely cheaper to learn these things, which means the bar is going to keep going higher and higher and higher. If you look at even today, the quality of the average studio's website is infinitely higher because most people didn't have a studio website 10 years ago. Most of them didn't. Uh, and, and now it's not just having a website. This is the differentiating factor. It's a well-branded website and building that brand, building authority, building trust, building social proof, building relationships, you know, and specializing in that one thing and being known for only that, that is the type of person that's going to still be around 10 years, 20 years from now versus the person who's trying to do everything. The person who refuses to specialize, the person that refuses to learn a lot of these other skills, not just audio. And it's kind of scary, but it's also kind of exciting because yes, this change in technology in the past 20 years has been terrifying and terrible for a lot of studios, but those who have adapted are experiencing a lot of prosperity that they couldn't have before because they're able to bring their overhead lower than before. They're able to work out of their homes so they're with their families more than ever. Uh, they're able to work without the pressure of investors like they used to have to do in the 60s, 70s, and 80s to start a studio up. You had to get investors for the most part. And nowadays, it's just not the case anymore. But that's also put a lot of people out of business, the people that refuse to adapt, the people that refuse the change. And so there's going to be two camps you know, as we go through these next 10, 15 years. There's camp one, which is those who see these changes adapt, those who take advantage of the resources that are out there, people that maximize, people that take this seriously, and people that don't just have one foot in one area and one foot in the other. And then you have camp number two. Those are the people that are just doing this for fun on the side or just dabbling with it, or people that are stuck in their ways or refuse to adapt or refuse to change or think that they can just do everything because that's more fun to them. It's going to be a lot different 10 to 15 to 20 years from now. And for some people, it's going to be a turnoff, I think. But I think overall, it's going to be better for everybody. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. And I would speak to a group of people that are listening right now. 
If you're listening, you're like, oh, always me. Technology's going to steal my job. Oh, it's going to be awful. Man, you should take a pause and you should consider that mentality. I would call that a victim mentality. And consider the flip side of the coin. More people are going to make records. And we're going to have more awesome records as a result of that. Your Spotify playlist in 10 years is probably going to be better than it is now. And that's exciting. So I'm going to go, if you guys will permit me, full nerd for like a minute and a half here. Okay, Chris Graham, show us your your full nerd, buddy. Push your glasses up, sir. I'm pushing them up. So me and my sons, my my sons, uh, Joshua and Jeremiah, they're five and seven. And I just started watching Star Trek The Next Generation, episode one. Season one, we're watching all the way through. It's like hundreds of episodes. Good God. We tend to do this with sci-fi shows and we really have a good time. And I think it's worth pointing out Star Trek because I think Star Trek The Next Generation does about as good a job of predicting what society will look like in the not super distant future than anybody else. And and here's why. You've talked about this just a little bit in the past. I have. So I'm going to go into more detail for those of you that maybe didn't hear that episode. There's a scene in one of the movies where someone says to Jean-Luc Picard, Captain Picard, he says, you know, they're asking about what the future looks like. And Picard explains, well, in the future, we've got replicators. So any food that you want or any physical item that you want, like all your needs are met by technology. So we all pursue our passions and I'm into exploration. That's his passion. So he's only trying to do the thing that fulfills him. And I think Ultimately in the future, for those of us that love making music, technology eventually is going to provide for all of our needs. Maybe not in my lifetime, but someday it probably will, barring, you know, thermonuclear war or something like that. And you're going to be able to afford to make music for a living. And you look back and some of you are like, oh, that's crazy. That'll never work. I really think it will. There's a guy, Andrew Carnegie. Carnegie. People say Carnegie. It's pronounced Carnegie. Tomato, tomato, but okay. He says, and there's a fascinating quote here that's so applicable to our conversation. He says, what capitalism does is it makes available to the poor that which was recently unavailable even to the rich. So think about that. When I was a kid, we had a 27-inch tube TV in the basement, and that was fancy. The richest person on earth might have had a... 52 inch TV, normal TV. You can go to Walmart and for not that much money buy a 70 inch 4K OLED TV that looks insane. Yeah, less than a month's income for most people. Exactly. But 10 years ago, none of us that listen to this podcast probably knew anyone that could afford that TV. So that's an interesting thing. And I think that interaction of people constantly finding ways to one-up the next guy in the value that they provide to customers inevitably makes music better. It gives us more tools. I think a lot of this is going to come down to technology is no longer going to be the limiting factor for producing music. And it's going to be back to just creativity. Who is the most creative person? Say that again. Hold on. That, that was gold. <laughs> Say that again. Okay. I don't think technology is going to be the limiting factor any longer. It's just going to be coming down to pure creativity. Yeah. But... With as many people as are going to have access to, you know, the technology that's running things and however many people that are creative, it's not just going to be the most creative person. It's going to be the creative person that understands the business aspects of running a studio. This is what the Six Figures Home Studio is for. There's obviously a ton of creative people who are a part of our community, but 
there are a lot of people that understand business now too, but there's also a lot of people that understand business that are not that creative. I hate to say it, but that's just the case. So in the future, it's the people that have both sets of skills and understand how to brand themselves in a memorable way, how to position themselves as a premium service, how to you know use social proof and you know all these psychological factors that come into sales. You know, being able to combine that with the creativity of being able to produce the music. It's a difficult combination to possess, but it can be possessed by many, many people. I would have to say, this is a bold statement, that the last minute was the best content we've had in the podcast so far. Why is that? I think you just nailed it. Like you absolutely nailed what the future of music is. It's people that have at least two skills, creativity and business. And that's awesome. The future of the music industry, I really believe, is no longer those who can navigate where the roads of creativity and technology intersect. It's where people, well, actually before it was even more intense than that. To be successful, you had to navigate creativity, technology, and entrepreneurship. Yeah, seriously. The technical business side was even more important back then because they had investors' dollars at stakes. They were working with large dollar amounts and they were calculating return on investment with all the things they put into the business. All the changes in technology actually brings up an interesting conversation, which is, now it's moving away from the big corporate or the big business or the big small business. You'd say that because these are you know multi-million dollar facilities back in the day. Now it's back in the individual. There's less and less big studios. There's more and more individuals. And I see that trend going even further that way. Now we're putting the power back into the individuals and there's less and less bigger businesses involved with the studio world. So where does that leave this career? It's all in your hands now versus some big corporation. Well, that's interesting. You know, you brought up a good point is that 15, 20 years ago, you didn't have to be, maybe I'm wrong, you didn't have to be a master of business, creativity, and technology. It was complicated enough technology that you had a business guy. And it was profitable enough that you had a business guy, a technology guy, and a creative guy. It's true. What happened was the industry got squeezed and you had to wear all three of those hats. And that that's really hard to do. That's tough. So you have to be a great technologist, you have to be a great creative, and you have to have mad business skills. In the future, you won't have to have mad technology skills. You'll just have to have mad creativity skills and mad business skills. That's cool. And you'll always have to be able to figure it the fuck out too. That's the big thing. We talked about that on episode 21, where we talked about the one thing that will guarantee your studio's failure. If you can't figure it out, whatever it is, you will always have to have those problem-solving skills to figure it the fuck out because... No matter how good technology gets, no matter how creative you are, no matter how good you are at business or technically good at business, there's always going to be roadblocks in your way and you have to be able to figure it out if you want to succeed. And that's, I don't think that's ever going to change. Yeah. Well, the exciting thing about that, I think, is that in the future, you know, as we said, you're only going to have to be able to navigate creativity and business. Technology is going to be a no brainer. It's going to be very, very easy. What's amazing about that, and I think, You know, when I was young, I was really anti-business. I didn't want to learn about business. I didn't want to become a businessman. I just thought it was evil. It was all sellout. And what I've learned is that being entrepreneurial is one of the most creative outlets that there is. To find a niche where there's demand that hasn't been met is one of the most wonderful facets of creativity that there is. So what's so interesting about that is that when you don't have to be a nerd to make amazing music and all you have to be is creative in the future, creative in your art and to bring that art to market. So that's really interesting and I'm fascinated by that. There's, um, I won't say who, but there's a 
really, really, really famous person in the vicinity of where I live who is, you know, Grammy winner, just absolutely killing it. And what's so fascinating to me is we're seeing a little bit of what we're talking about today in the way he's making his record. He doesn't need that much gear. He can do it in his basement. He doesn't even need a microphone stand. That's awesome. He doesn't have to go to LA and spend, you know, 1500 bucks a day at least to get a top flight studio or, you know, I don't even know how much it is out there, honestly, and have a technologist help him interface with the recording. That's just so freaking cool. So let me just sort of back up. If your niche is being the technology guy, you're probably in trouble. And I say that to myself, man, I'm a mastering engineer. I'm like a samurai nerd (laughs) with, you know, adjusting, you know, multi-band compressors and thresholds and attack and You know, like there's just so much weird nerdy stuff that you do as a mastering engineer. I'm keenly aware that 10 years from now, the demands of my job will be different than they are now. And that the creativity aspect, I like to say this all the time, that my job as a mastering engineer is part art, part science. So your job ultimately isn't to be this technologist. It's to create more goosebumps when people listen to the projects you've worked on. So there's a lot of ways you can do that, a whole lot of ways. And I think figuring that out is the fun part. Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't because most freelancers, number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. So I think we've kind of harped on this enough. You have to make yourself indispensable. That's the bottom line. You have to be able to make yourself and keep yourself indispensable because technology is going to come and disrupt a lot of things. It's already kind of disrupted the mastering engineer world a little bit with things like Lander, and that's only going to get better. As much as it mastering engineers hate it, it's only going to get better at what it does, which makes that job even more difficult for mastering engineers. But let's talk about now. Did you want to say anything on that before I move on? I was only going to just make fun of them a little bit. Only if they don't ruin their brand before that, then somebody else will have to come out. Well, every mastering engineer on earth is sitting there nitpicking, waiting for them to fall, but it hasn't happened yet. But we'll see. We'll see what the future holds with them. All that to say, back to the home studio owners, what skills should they start cultivating now? in order to prepare for the future? That's a really good topic to discuss now. That's a great question. Well, I think the answer always is musicality. Always. Do you have a great sense of musicality? Picking between two bass parts and saying which one of these 
is more infectious? Which one of these is going to make more people happy? Okay, well, let's say things we don't already know that the future is going to be in because that's a given. You got to be good at your job. You got to be good at producing or recording and mixing. We are talking about the importance of what we think specialization or niching down is going to be in the future. But let's talk about real hard skills that you can learn for the future. We talked about negotiation a few episodes ago in episode number 30. And there's going to be a lot of other skills like that. They're going to be important to you and not just in the business side of things, but also the technology side of things. We were talking about technology is going to be less and less of a limiting factor, but we're talking about building your website out. We're talking about building your brand out. We're talking about doing things online, maybe advertising, maybe learning skills like paid advertising. There's a lot of different areas you can go. What are some important, let's just say business skills for now, business and personal skills that our listeners should start investing into in the future? Well, let me answer that question in a similar way to answer the first question. If you look back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there were a lot of audio engineers who were entrenched who had done well, maybe weren't like, you know, multiple Grammys or crazy famous, but had made a career out of it that refused to learn new skills and everything moved online. And I was part of this. You know, I wasn't the best master engineer in the world 10 years ago but I was better at managing website design than a lot of my competitors. And as a result, my business grew when theirs shrank. So that's an interesting thing is that this technology, it's happened before. It happened, you know, 10, 15 years ago where the people that were willing to make the jump to the internet prospered and those that didn't faded into obscurity. That's going to continue to happen. And in the future, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's going to have a lot to do with, do you have a great web presence? Do you have a great social media presence? And do you know how to drive traffic to your website and get attention? Whether that's through paid advertising, whether that's through marketing stunts, or whether that's through you know building a hardcore reputation where you are getting people to talk about you on the internet in a good way. So yeah, I mean, moving forward, being a self-promoter, as much as I hate that term, I hate self-promotion, but if you're not a self-promoter in the future, it's not going to go well for you. I think ultimately we've talked about this many times in the podcast, this idea of if you build it, they will come. I could be wrong, but I don't see that ever becoming true on the internet. I think one big thing to always keep in the back of your head when it comes to trying to run a successful business and whatever you do, this is not just studios. This is any business you ever try to run is that your business has to solve a major problem in someone's life. Yeah. Or you have to solve some sort of problem. Doesn't have to be a major one. Like I buy mints because my breath may smell bad. You know, that's a, that's a problem and they solve it and it's a small problem. Well, bad, it's a huge problem depending on who you are. Some people have some stank breath. I can't comment on that. We almost only record on the internet. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Well, I just drank an entire glass of horchata, some sort of Mexican rice water drink thing. And uh, I've had too much coffee today. So my breath is probably on the critical scale where I need some mints, but that solves a problem. A mint at the basic level solves the problem of bad breath. When I look at your business, let's just say studio owners, as the future keeps going, as we keep progressing in the future and technology and things change, you have to make sure you're still solving a problem that people have. Yes. And as long as you're able to solve a problem that they have, you will be successful because no matter what sort of technology comes along, those will cause problems as well. As things come online, let's just say, for example, in the manufacturing world, as technology has started taking away jobs because of how efficient technology has made manufacturing, it's taken away a lot of the manual labor. Now that's opened up all sorts of opportunities in the automation world or the technology world, the people that build the software to run those machines or the people that build those machines themselves. And it's not the same people that get those jobs, but it is definitely creating a lot of jobs in that world. Now, I don't know, I'm not going to get into the, to the conversation of 
the displacement to new job ratio. I have no idea, but I just know that as technology changes in the recording world and the, in the audio world, there will be new problems. There will be new careers to take on. It may not even be a full different career, just a different skill set you need. I think you will still be doing well as long as you're focused always on what sort of problem can I solve creatively? And I think if you focus on that, you'll do well. I got to point out, like, again, a year on fire here. The thing that you said about you have to meet a need, you know, that's incredible. You have to recognize that your customers have a need, they have a problem, and then you solve it for them. That's business, man. If your idea of business is, I have a need and it's to feel like a badass and, and to feel like a hero, and that's why I condescend to the vocalist, and that's why I like picking on the 19-year-old drummer, <laughs> and that's why like, I like the studio because it's somewhere that I'm the king dude, you won't be able to leverage that for the long term as a viable business. That I think is guaranteed. Five years from now, it's only going to be five times harder than it is now. So this is frustrating for me when I have these conversations because I think back to school. I wasn't taught these things in school. I don't think any of us were. Nope. Worse than that, I was taught the exact opposite of this in school. And the opposite of this is if you build it, they will come. If you're passionate enough, it won't matter. All you need to do is bring your best, try hard, and be a good worker. Man, that's not going to work. That's not going to happen in the future. Is not going to be kind to people who believe that. It's going to be kind to problem solvers and people who put creativity first. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head there, which is schools teach you to follow a system, and entrepreneurship is about solving problems creatively. So just to put that into, people use this example all the time in entrepreneurship, if if Henry Ford tried to solve a problem by following a system, then he would have sent out surveys to all of America and said, hey, what sort of problem can I solve? Well, my horses are slow or my horses sometimes die or my horses suck when they're pulling a carriage. So what can you do to make my horses faster or live longer or stronger? And he would have done all sorts of market research on how to optimize a horse. And he would have then all sorts of research on, you know, how to keep your horse alive longer and how to breed stronger horses and how to make horses faster. And that would have been how he solved that problem by following a system. But the, the reality was people wanted the car. They just didn't know how to explain that. And so he's solving a problem in a way that fits his vision, his creative vision, not necessarily what the average person or following some sort of survey system that he learned. And that's maybe not the best example, but you see what I'm saying. It's you're creatively solving problems and not just following a system. No, it's great. It makes me wish there was a book written probably by like Walter Isaacson. He's got to write this Steve Jobs book. Walter, if you're listening, I know you're not. Write a book that compares <laughs> Henry Ford. And then I'm sure there is some guy back in the day in the 19 teens, and the 1920s, that was like, Josh Garnett, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to make the horses better. We're going to do better horseshoes. We're going to do better nutrition. We're going to do all these things and we're going to improve the horse. It'd be so impressive to see a comparison of Henry Ford and this guy who thought the future was his better horses. That's a good parable type book to write. Yeah, I'm sure it's a reality. I'm sure it actually happened and to compare their two lives and just talk about this idea of... Or someone that built a better horse carriage. Yeah. So case in point, man, there's a great story. I mentioned Walter Isaacson, so I'm going to quote something from his book about Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs' biography. There was a passage in that book that just blew my mind. And he talked about Steve Jobs came into a meeting one day and this is, the iPod was super popular. This is like 2003, 2004, something like that. And Steve Jobs had realized 
that somebody else was going to take an MP3 player and put it in a cell phone. And he realized that was the future. And that was a tough decision for him because he said to his team, he said, you know, someone else is going to do this and they're going to take our iPod business. So you know what we need to do? We need to, instead of letting them eat our lunch, we need to eat our own lunch. We need to come out with the iPhone. And when we do, it's going to be awesome, but it's going to kill the iPod business. We need to find something that we can do to kill our own business so that we eat our own lunch rather than letting somebody else eat our own lunch. And the big thing that we need to keep in mind, especially people like me that are, you know, in, in the technology sort of music industry, I'm 36, so I'm a geezer. You look at these kids who were born and raised on GarageBand, they are going to be crazy good. They are going to have skills at young ages that I couldn't dream of. I just yesterday mastered a sample for a guy that's in college and the mix he sent me was absolutely phenomenal. It was crazy. This was a kid that was raised in GarageBand and it was a lot better than guys I know that are in their 30s that a lot of them w- would do. It was incredible. And we need to keep that in mind that this generation that's coming, they know things we don't. They've had GarageBand. That's all they've ever known. They don't remember the Tascam Porta Studio. And for, and for anybody that's like any of you that's my age, there aren't my age. The Tascam Porta Studio was the first thing you could record four tracks on using just a cassette tape. So it was like a portable home four track studio. And it was awesome when it came out. That's what I learned on. But when I was, you know, like 16, 17 years old, but these kids grew up on GarageBand. Some of these kids are growing up on Logic. That's insane. Yeah, that's a completely different life than what I had. I mean, I, I remember in my late teens having Cool Edit Pro 2.0 that I illegally downloaded somewhere, I'm sure, I'm sure. And it crashed constantly. There was only destructive editing. Uh, it, was a, <laughs> it was a shit show. But that was like, getting that in my late teens was awesome. But I can't even imagine having the technology today at six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, what I could have done with that and how much further along I'd be. So it is so damn important if you're listening to this, to stay hungry, stay on top of shit, stay motivated and stay, stay relevant. That is the key to all of this. Yeah. Learn and adapt. So man, we should try to get him on the podcast. I forget the guy's name, but I watched a video recently about a producer. I think he's in Atlanta who's had a lot of success. And his thing is he makes beats on his phone and these beats go on to become hits. Hmm. And like, he's in the studio with like a bass, playing into his phone. That's the the thing that he's decided the tool he likes the most is his phone. And man, take a minute to ponder this. There's at least one person out there who's had more success than you have had as a studio owner by making something on his phone. That's crazy. Yikes. That's terrifying. It's so scary. So scary. So, but that's now making me consider, should I start looking into phone DAWs and see see what's out there? Phone dolls. Yeah. So yeah, it's an interesting world. Five years from now, like, so case in point, 12 years ago, if you would have described what today looks like, as far as an iPhone goes, nobody would believe you. Nobody. Maybe Steve Jobs. But my illustration here is like, think about how much the world's changed in 12 years. 12 years from now, holy moly. So back to our point, like technology is going to get better it's going to continue to improve. And as it does, there will be more room for creatives without technical skill. And for us in the 
artist service industry, which is what this podcast is about. We're in the artist service industry. We're going to have to find different ways to provide services to artists if that's what we want to do for a living. And it might be songwriting. It might be uh, what Emily does on one of our previous episodes. Yeah, she was on episode 22 of the podcast. If you want to go back and listen to how she got hundreds of clients for her remote drum recording business. Yeah, I really think in the future, you will see an explosion of people who do remote studio recording. Because if you've got a certain secret sauce that you can bring to a track, so like case in point, I'm a huge Motown fan. Huge Motown fan. Yeah, that Barry Gordy book you put me onto was awesome. Incredible. Well, they had a bass player named James Jamerson. And for those of you guys that are into like Wolfpack and, you know, sort of this new movement of funk and, you know, R&B and stuff like that, James Jamerson was a freak. Like when you think of like a Motown hit, you're probably thinking of a James Jamerson bass line. James Jamerson plus the internet, if you had somebody with that much stank in their plane, they could bring that much to the table who just runs a website and you upload a song and they do their thing. But if you're the type of person who you've niched down to say the bass or drums or background vocals, and you see this already in the voiceover industry. That back in the day, it was like you had to be in LA or New York if you want to do voiceover. Now, people have a little tiny crappy vocal booth in their basement and they do voiceovers internationally and there are a ton of people doing it. It's completely removed to remote. So I would say, and I think this is a prediction that it isn't super shocking, but the remote aspect of the industry is going to explode continually. It already has. All right. So let's start wrapping this up, Chris, just to kind of leave us with some tangibles. What are some action items people can take, some specific actions now people can start taking to future-proof themselves and their businesses? Well, in any industry that's changing fast, the people who win are either lucky or the fastest learner. And so I think one of the things you can do to future-proof yourself is to start learning faster. Read books, you know, find biographies of, of people who have navigated technological change and read them. Man, it was a really big deal for me a couple years ago. I read Mark Cuban's autobiography and his basic advice, the best advice he had in the book was read biographies. And I was like, okay. When a billionaire tells you to do something, you should listen. Exactly. Yeah. So I started doing it. It's been incredible. It's been life-changing. So read, especially biographies and self-help business books and books that are about change. Yep. So that's another thing we mentioned it previously, but learn how to negotiate. This sort of like artist mentality of I will bury my head in the sand and let my art speak for itself. One out of a million people are good enough to do that. And even they eventually get ripped off by a record label or a manager or something like that. You have to take self-ownership. I think a couple other things you can do to future-proof yourself is, and I believe this wholeheartedly, invest heavily into branding yourself. I think this is something that people don't really think of. They think when they hear branding themselves, it's just simply putting a website up. It's so much more than that. And I would encourage anyone listening to, and maybe we can have an episode on this, but uh, I would encourage you to invest heavily into that. Yeah, I would say on the subject of investment, if mics are getting cheaper and better every year, if pre's are getting cheaper and better every year, the best investment is always going to be in yourself in an industry where the price keeps coming down on quality. So continue to invest in yourself. Continue to find ways to improve. Continue to have skills that will help you improve your studio business, but could also help you improve other businesses. And I think finally, the most important advice for anyone listening right now is to not become complacent. Yeah. When you're complacent, you're okay with whatever you've got going on right now. That is 
a recipe for stagnation and the death of your studio. <laughs> yeah. Well, that complacency, I think, comes from entitlement. This feeling that I've become good at a thing and I'm going to keep doing it and be passionate about it and that will be enough to keep me in business. And some people are lucky enough for that to be enough. Most of us will not be. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Uh, we mentioned how important it's going to be in the future for recording to have both the creativity aspect and the business aspect. I mean, I think that's a pretty clear point here uh, because if you are super creative, you don't understand the business of running a studio, it's going to be really hard for you to, to be able to stand out with your creativity, be able to showcase your creativity and be able to bring in clients and convince people that, hey, I am actually better than the person down the road. Why are you going with them? And I think that there's a lot of confusion behind marketing. I think there's a lot of confusion behind advertising. I think there's a lot of confusion behind positioning and differentiation and all those things that are important. So for this episode, I actually wanted to bring something back. I had an online workshop I did a while back. And the title of the workshop is How to Make a Living from Your Existing Audio Skills Without the Need for Fancy Gear or Fancy Studios. Uh, and it was available for a while and then went away and then it was available for a, a short time again. And I wanted to make it available for anyone listening to the podcast again, in case you want to uh, join that workshop. It's free. It's going to give you a lot of the tools you're going to need in order to succeed over the coming years. And I really think if you are unsure of how to take your existing creativity and how to position yourself as a successful studio, I think it's going to be a game changer for you. So if you want that, you could just go to the profitable.studio. That's the URL, theprofitable.studio. Or if that doesn't work, you can go to the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash workshop. Whoa.